Hi there, thanks for joining us for the Executive Series today. I'm speaking with Kevin Bertoli, and he's from PM Capital, and he is responsible for their Global Opportunities Fund. And to kick off, we'll be talking about some of the things that are driving the Asian picture at the moment. Uh, Kev, it's always good to chat. Happy so much year. going on. Yeah, good to be uh, back. Happy, happy New Year. <laughs> of course, I should uh, pay more attention to civilities. But um, what's going on in um, Asia at the moment has been uh, such a catalyst, uh, not only for those markets, but also how that has reverberated throughout global markets. At a time when they're worried a little bit about growth, this was an important fillip, the reopening in China in particular. Yeah, I think that's right. So, you know, the big move has come after you know, the National Congress in October. She obviously being appointed for another five years, but there's definitely been a shift in the tone coming out of China you know, post that event. You know, we've had a relaxation of the COVID zero mindset and policies there. So that's a big stimulus for you know, global growth, because if you actually look back at the last you know, 12 to 18 months, you've had the US improving uh, strongly. You've had Europe muddling through some of the issues that they have associated to Russia-Ukraine conflict. But China is really important because it's a big buyer of commodities, so important for Australia. Uh, and being the second largest economy, it really can kickstart uh, you know, some of the growth uh, in that market. Because if you look at GDP growth in China, it's been decelerating uh, over you know, the past couple of years. And we're now sitting at a point where Q4 2.9% year-over-year growth in the economy was the lowest uh, in a very long time. So you're starting to see uh, some signs of improvement, very quick improvement in terms of underlying activity. Uh, similar to what we saw in the US, Australia, even Europe when we came out of you know, that COVID period, the pent-up demand within the, in that economy is, is starting to shine through. What's interesting is not only when you see catalysts like that, but when they're also surrounded by a number of other initiatives. So you've had the um, support that the administration is offering for the property sector. You've had almost a, um, a, a full stop put on that inquiry into the tech stocks, which was yes. really laboring their performance. Uh, a lot's been done for the property sector. Um, they're, they're trying to impose more clarity around iron ore pricing. Uh, these ultimately can all be quite important catalysts in their um, own right. Yes. So if all of those things are coming together, um, are you going to see things springboard aggressively? Well, it's interesting. If you actually look at uh, the last 12 months, people talk a lot about COVID zero being the primary focus. But if you actually look at the anomaly global, globally when it comes to valuation, it's China and Hong Kong. Yeah. And that's not something that occurred with COVID. It's something that happened years before that. And if you look at the valuation uh, difference between, say, the US and China, Hong Kong, that divergence has been growing for the better part of seven or eight years. That accelerated over the last you know, two years, but it's something that's been structurally moving for the last you know, seven or eight years. As you say, there's many things. Geopolitics, first, you know, Trump trade war. Yep. Then you obviously had some of the geopolitical issues and regulatory issues internally, mainly on tech. And then you had COVID uh, and properties being a lingering issue for the better part of two decades. So these things are now starting to look like they're reversing, but you're at a point where sentiment amongst investors towards the market is extremely pessimistic. And it's a wait and see approach or China is too hard. 
and eventually people will turn and the pendulum will shift. So a great example, we've had uh, positions in Macau uh, on and off for the last decade. The last couple of years has been very difficult for the sector. They've had dual overhangs that they've had to uh, navigate. One, COVID zero, when 90% of your patrons come from China or Hong Kong, that restriction and the restriction on the movement of people has been a big barrier. And secondly, regulatory and license renewal process have been the two overhangs. Now, in the last three months, both of those issues have been addressed and stocks were any, up anywhere between you know, 50 and 100%. So they've moved a lot off their lows, but the reality is they are very depressed. You mentioned tech, Alibaba, yeah. you know, peaked at $315, got down to a low of $65 in the second half of last year. It's quite extraordinary for one that, that's like you know um, a big US tech name doing the same effectively. Correct. So you've, you've had very big moves. Um, the markets, technically, from a technical perspective, uh, the level of investment from international investors is, is lower than it historically has been. So that sets the markets up for you know, a strong 2023 in our eyes. So our exposure you know, to that sector is one through Macau, you know, through commodities is, a, yep. is another sector, which is very much reliant on you know, what happens in China being the biggest buyer of most commodities globally, whether that be you know, positions in oil, positions in uh, copper or positions in, in coal, which we have across uh, our, our funds. So obviously, um, being uh, oriented in uh, into the commodity space, you would have thought long and hard about what has happened in the property sector and, and whether or not that is going to be uh, a potentially a black swan issue. Um, how, how much comfort are you deriving from what, what's gone on there? Yeah, so I think if you look at fundamentally our commodity position has been built around two kind of factors. Firstly, it's been supply driven. So yep. reinvestment back into supply has not been enough to keep up with natural growth in demand. Yep. Uh, and secondly, there's the ESG factors that are impacting markets. So when you look at things like copper, as an example, China property plays a part, you know, whether it's you know, within uh, residential and commercial construction or whether it's the appliances that go into a new home. But what they also have is new demand drivers being renewables, uh, being EVs. And we just don't think uh, that the level of investments that, that is going back into the industry, whether that's been because boards are cautious because of COVID, whether it's uh, geopolitical issues in South America or tax, they're just not reinvesting. The other side be oil, coal, that's an ESG issue. Yeah. Underinvestment because corporates don't want to be seen investing in those spaces. So back to your point, property is very important um, but we think there's more uh, issues on the supply side. And ultimately, we think China will continue to support that industry because of the importance that it has you know, in terms of the overall economy. So we think the outlook is still very strong. And valuation, if you look at the coal stocks here in Australia, Stanmore, Coronado, trading at you know, one or two times spot earnings. CNUC, which is uh, a Chinese EMP business we own, spot three or four times earnings, paying us a 15% dividend. So valuation is extremely depressed and we think the outlook's o outlook is okay for these businesses going forward. Uh, do you have any exposure in relation to the, apart from the casinos to the, the consumer? That's the big uh, exposure we have and it's the most you know, important for us. Uh, some of our other you know, global businesses have uh, 
businesses within China that are linked to the consumer. Heineken uh, is a major shareholder in uh, CRB, which is yeah. the largest brewer there. Um, but specifically on the ground consumer plays, the main one is our exposure to Macau, which, as I said, 90% of the people that visit that market either come from mainland China or, or Hong Kong. So just quickly back to the resource uh, side of things, um, things have run so hard, like even with iron ore prices, you know, they've um, surged uh, since October of last year. Yep. I, you know, the iron ore miners are up anywhere uh, between 30 and 40% since the lows of October. When do you start thinking, okay, um, this has had a good run, uh, yep. might have to start rethinking this? Yeah, so if you think our commodity position was built in 18 and 19. Yep. And as I said before, it was really around the lack of investment that the industries had and the prices you needed to incentivize new supply. Now, iron ore is an interesting one because the cost curve tells you that the iron ore price should be a lot lower. Yeah. If you look at copper as a, as a different you know, commodity, BHP got very big exposure to copper. Uh, that is one where we think the incentive price is $4.450. If you look back when we bought these positions, you know, the price was 250, 210 during yeah. COVID. So you have had a big move and a business like Freeport, which was one of our largest copper positions, you know, we bought that at $8 you know, and it's 45 today. So they've moved a long way, but the real supply crunch that the industries face, particularly in say nickel, copper, coal, oil, they're going to show up in the next two to three years. So the yeah. market's recognized this to some extent, but we think that the real pinch point for the industry is going to be in a couple of years time. There's a great chart that S&P put out very recently, which looks at uh, CapEx and approved projects. It actually has them going down over the next three or four years. Now, we know you need more of these resources. The projects today that they have approved aren't going to meet that. And projects that are going to come are going to have to come at much higher uh, capital budgets, given the inflation you're seeing in the system. So we think that bodes for structurally higher commodity prices. And when you look at the energy transition story, it's a hugely inflationary story. So we think that's something that's here to stay, despite the fact that you've had strong moves in some of these uh, th these stocks. Kev, great insights about China. This is actually the first iteration of the conversation that we're going to be having because uh, the next part will take in some of the issues uh, that will be dominating the uh, European landscape. So uh, please tune in for that interview. But uh, thanks very much for your insights about China, Kev. Thanks. And thanks for joining us.